being able to come in and hear somebody actually say, you know what, Andrew, I'm proud of you. You've done great. Um, like this morning when I announced 14 months clean, you know, my whole class, 35, 40 people, you know, all excited. That means a lot. Because it's a big, big accomplishment to get a week. It's a huge accomplishment to get a month, six months. When you hit that year milestone, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe it. And now it's like 14 months. It's like, it's overwhelming. It's no secret that we as a country are facing an epidemic. In 2017, over 72,000 Americans died as a result of a drug overdose, with 1,776 of those occurring right here in Tennessee. Fueled by addiction and mental health disorders, these numbers continue to rise. According to the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, there are over 20 million Americans suffering from a substance use disorder, which means those 20 million have been to a professional healthcare provider and been diagnosed with having an addiction. It is unknown and hard to put a number on how many are suffering from an undiagnosed addiction. Today, we're talking with one of the Tennessee Department of Corrections clinical professionals about addiction, what it is, how it affects the user, and how their families can inadvertently play a role in their addiction. We're also going to speak with a recovering addict who is currently enrolled in one of our day reporting center programs about his addiction and how he has fought to achieve sobriety. I'm Rob Rayburn. And this is The Mission. It's probably about 20 years ago. Actually going through a rough time in my life. Had a car wreck. Um, they had prescribed me opiates, um, Roxy's and Oxy's. <clears throat> um, I never took pills or anything before then. And then uh, it crushed the left side of my face, the lower part of my spine, uh, some other damages. And I ended up getting hooked on pain pills at that point. This is Hutch. He prefers to go by Andrew these days, but we'll get into that a little later. He's been battling addiction for 20 years. As you heard at the beginning of this episode, he's been clean for 14 months now, something that has taken a lot of hard work and he is very proud of. As you also heard, Hutch's addiction did not originate from the recreational use of any type of drug. It was the result of prescription pain medications that were prescribed by his doctor. But his story is not rare or uncommon. In fact, it is estimated over 3 million people meet the criteria for abuse of or dependence on prescription drugs. According to a 2017 Department of Justice study, more people reported using prescription drugs than cocaine, heroin, and methamphetamines combined. In the first five years, um, I probably ate 10 or 12 hydros and probably 10 Percocets a day. At that time, they were probably five, six dollars a day or a piece. So it was quite a bit I was spending at, at that time. So I mean, and then after five years, it got to where people were actually selling them for ten dollars a piece. So, I mean, I'd spend 100, 200, 300 a day just for pills. When I, uh, in 2010, I was done a roof and actually fell off a roof and cracked three vertebrae in the lower part of my spine. And uh, I was put out of work for a while. And that's when I'd actually picked up 
and started selling. And so I was selling to provide for for my habit as well and also to, you know, I mean, it's like to pay the bills because I was in the, you know, at home with no job, but it was to support my habit mostly. I mean, to continue on with my habit. It's not whether you have the choice if it's in front of you. You don't have the choice. When you're a true addict, if you see it, you're, you can't even stop your body. You're already doing that drug before you realize what you're doing because you're so addicted. Your body craves it and you need it. It's like, if I don't have it, I'm going to die. It's like, so the addiction automatically kicks in and you're telling yourself, no, you, yes, don't. you don't have to have it. You don't got to do it. But before you could even realize it, you're already picking the straw up and snorting the pill or snorting the drugs or whatever. And then it's too late. I mean, it's like your body is like an autopilot it just does what it naturally does because you're you're an addict period hutch was addicted it started with prescription pain meds and while it did evolve to using other drugs the prescription pain medications were his go-to but addiction comes in many forms and can originate from countless substances so what exactly is addiction i sat down with suzanne runyon the clinical director for tdoc's day reporting center in johnson city and asked her Director Runyon has almost 15 years in the mental health field, including nine years working in the addiction and recovery field. So addiction is a disease. That's the philosophy that we have in that it is a disease of the brain. We talk about, uh, when I meet with families and new participants, we talk a lot about what that looks like in regards to the, the brain change, there's a chemical change within the brain once they start using these different substances. And I use an example compared to the Hazelden curriculum that, um, that sometimes I use, and it's about a pickle and a cucumber. And I explain to the families and the participants that, you know, everybody is born a cucumber, and if I had one and I just stuck it down into a jar of vinegar for a few seconds, what would it be? And then they say, it's still a cucumber, just has vinegar on it. I say, that's right. So I say, if I put that in, the, in a jar of vinegar and I leave it for a few weeks, days, whatever, then what happens? They say, it's a pickle. And I'll say, well, can it go back to being a cucumber? And they said, no. And I'll say, okay, well, what, why? What, what's changed? What's happened? They say, well, there's been an internal change. There's been a chemical change. There's been um, vinegar that seeped into it or whatever that sounds like or looks like to them. And then I, I bring that back to their brains and I say, okay, that is how you're born. You're born that way with, quote, the cucumber. Once you start using drugs, you have chemically changed, chemically altered uh, parts of the brain. And it, it, it can't necessarily go back. It can recover. It can get well. It can heal. But... You know, to remind themselves that is why a lot of their thinking uh, patterns are different. Their behavior changes. The risk-taking factors increase it's because there's been a chemical change. Addiction is a disease. As Director Runyon stated, that is TDOC's philosophy, and it is with that philosophy in mind that we decide on which evidence-based programming we should utilize when treating our offenders who suffer from addiction. But that philosophy is also a fact one that is supported by many in the medical field. Both the American Medical Association as well as the American Society of Addiction Medicine define addiction as a complex disease of the brain and body 
that involves compulsive use of one or more substances despite serious health and social consequences. However, referring to addiction as a disease upsets some who feel it is just being used as an excuse to justify the addict's actions. Director Runyon says that's not at all the case and that it's important to understand the science behind the definition. You know, because we say that addiction is a disease, it doesn't condone what, you know, active addicts have done to their families, to their friends, to society, to the community. It's not saying that it's okay and this is why I try to make sure to to clarify that because a lot of times when families hear that, they think, oh, you're just justifying what they've done. And that's not necessarily the case. When, when we talk to them about the education of, of drugs, alcohol, and what it does, we just want them to know that their point of reference has, has completely changed from their decision-making behaviors, compulsions, impulses. All of that has changed. So it, it, it doesn't make it okay, but just to give them a little bit better point of reference. And when I introduce this concept to families, I always ask, I said, do you know anyone who has diabetes or cancer, heart disease? Inevitably, people raise their hand. And I'll say, have you ever had someone say, well, you're not diabetic, you just, you just like attention. You just, you know, you just, you just don't want to produce the insulin that you need to. You just want to be annoying. And I said, or do you hear anyone say, you know, with, with cancer, oh, well, that tumor, you're just making all this up. You just want money. You want us to feel sorry for you. You're bumming everyone out. You're ruining everyone's Christmas. So just hush. And so when I ask them those kind of questions, they, they kind of laugh and giggle, and they'll say, well, no, we wouldn't say that. And I'll say, well, why wouldn't you? They say, well, that's mean. That's not very nice. You know, they can't help it. It's a disease. I'll say, okay. But the irony in that is if we believe the idea that addiction is a disease, we say that kind of stuff all the time to recovering addicts or even active addicts is, you know, you're just doing this for attention. You just, you're just doing this because you want money. You're bumming all of us out. You're ruining everybody's Christmas. You know, this is just something that you can just quit. Why don't you just go ahead and do it? And, you know, when I do say, I know there's going to be those few occasions where miraculously people are able to do that, and I applaud and celebrate that with them. But the majority of the time, um, for those who want to be sober and practice recovery, they need to have specific treatment that's going to address those those issues regarding substance use addiction, the drug of choice, and you know just the behaviors that go along with it. A lot of times when we see participants come into this program, half, half of their battle is just really truly recognizing that they have a problem and, and trying to get rid of that idea that, well, I just use on weekends, it's not that big of a deal. I only drink when I'm with friends, I can always stop. Because when, when they really believe that, yes, I do have a problem, it is out of control, it's to the point where I'm hurting myself, I'm hurting others, I'm committing crimes, I'm making poor decisions, at that point they're able to, to recognize, okay, if I want to keep doing this, I'll just keep using. But if I don't, I need, I need to get better. I need to start doing whatever it is they ask me to do here. I need to do whatever it is that any other treatment program is asking me to do because that's how I'm going to get well again. Education and an understanding of addiction is especially important for the family and friends of those suffering from the disorder. Director Runyon says too often families are contributing to the addiction by enabling the addict without even really realizing it. So instead of helping, they are actually hurting the addict. 
One thing I talk to families about is codependency. And there's a lot of really great terms out there for that. And the layman terms I always just tell the families um, is that the participant or loved one is addicted to a substance and that they are addicted to the loved one. In the same way that a participant will wake up in the morning and they think about where can I get my drug, how can I get it, what time can I get it, um, who's going to make the best deal, how can I get the money. Uh, they're, they're preoccupied with those thoughts. In the same manner, someone who's codependent, when they wake up, they think, you know, where is this person? What are they doing? Who are they with? Where are they going to go today? How are they going to get money? Are they going to get in trouble? Am I going to get that phone call finally? So I, I'll try to just make them aware that a lot of times what tends to happen with codependency is you you kind of start changing your your schedule, your routine, your thoughts, your mood for the day around this one individual and how toxic that can become. And then with enabling, I talk with families and I, I tell them, you know, there is such thing as helping them to death. And I explain that, you know, part of this process is for them to experience natural and logical consequences. A natural consequence meaning if they have a job and they use that morning or night and they don't feel well the next day and they're, as they call it, dope sick, and they ask their loved one, hey, will you please call them and tell them I'm sick, tell them I'm, I can't come into work today. And even just making that phone call of, you know, I'm sorry, Joe's sick today. He, he doesn't feel well. He's not going to come in. He might have that stomach bug that's going around. What that does, it just it perpetuates that idea that, well, I, I'm, it's okay because somebody will, will make it better for me. Somebody will rescue me from this. And, you know, a, a natural consequence, I say, is, you know, let them feel uncomfortable and embarrassed by having to call their employer or experience whatever consequence happens at work because if if they never get to experience the, the down part of it and we always have somebody rescuing them, they, they don't, there's not going to be that desire or that motivation to want to get better because if they know somebody's going to be there always, then why would I even try to get better? Before I finish my conversation with Director Runyon, I wondered what she felt we, as a society, could do to combat addiction. I asked her what she thought needed to happen for us to maybe one day beat this disease. From my standpoint, and I don't necessarily know if this is something toward helping the, the addict but I think as, as a culture, I wish that people were more educated on what addiction is as well as what mental health is. I think for me, that is something that I feel very passionate about because I think mental illness and addiction a lot of times go together, which creates co-occurring disorders. And I think that sometimes there's a misconception about drug use and mental illness so I think one for me would be I, I, I would as a culture I wish we would have more of a conversation about what mental illness is what addiction is what works and haven't hasn't worked 
and start looking at ways to support the process versus ways to just punish the process. I think that compassion and education are two of some of the most important factors with this specific population. It's, I understand how it can be very difficult to have compassion if you're a family member and that family member's hurt you many, many times. But my hope would be that through, through those frustrations and through the misunderstandings, somewhere in there they recognize, you know, this is, this is not a bad person trying to be good. This is a sick person trying to get well. Something that also stuck out from my conversation with Director Runyon was a comment that she had made about the impact of addiction on the user's family. She said, addiction is not a spectator sport. Eventually, everyone gets to play. I think that says a lot because so often we forget just how this disease impacts the family and the loved ones of those suffering. Like a stone dropped into a pond, there are ripples that reverberate out from the direct point of contact, creating damage and hurt and pain. That hurt and pain and disappointment from the family members is something that Hutch and I also discussed when talking about his story of addiction and recovery. I was a letdown to my family because by the time they found out and realized all the things that I was doing, you know, it was already probably eight or nine years into my addiction and it was like a, a total letdown. So, um, both of my kids had completely avoided me, blocked me out of their lives. And my son will be 23 next month and my daughter's 20. And for two years I had to go without them having nothing to do with me because I was such a failure to them. I'd let them down and became the person that I told them to avoid and stay away from. And uh, I became that person. One of the biggest demons that I had to battle every single day was when I would preach to my kids about drinking or smoking or doing drugs or anything. And then when they'd leave to go to school or they were in bed at nights or whatever, I would I would go out and get my drugs or my pill or go out and sell this dope or make this drug run. And it was always on my mind and my heart because I was like, I'm preaching to my kids every day, but I'm living a lie. I'm, I'm telling them that I'm a total different person. So, I mean, still to this day, I don't, I don't blame them or hold it against them for, for not having nothing to do with me, for building that barrier between us because of what I did to them. Despite his excessive drug use and eventual dealing and selling of narcotics, Hutch had flown under the radar of police and never really gotten into any trouble. That is, until February of 2017, when he got pulled over and ended up receiving multiple felonies. That night would begin a downward spiral that included a four-month stint on the run. It, it really hit me in um, uh, February of 2017. That's when I'd actually got pulled over for the very first time. I'd sold drugs and done a lot of stuff for many years. But February 18th or 17th of 2017, uh, I'd gotten pulled over and um, had a couple of guns in the car, quite a bit of cash, um, a large amount of ice, and um, I actually got charged with a whole lot of felonies for the first time in my life, and I went to jail. Um, I was in jail for 37 days, and I had a, you know, a good lawyer and everything, and they actually got me out. And 
I was supposed to start, you know, Elm Street, going to probation and everything. I went there for the very first day for orientation. I really didn't care at that point. I went into orientation, failed the drug test for ICE right there that day, um, automatically went back out on the run. So I ran for four months, and honestly, at the end of that four months, when they caught me on July 20th, I was actually at that point, that's when I knew that I was done, that I couldn't do it no more. Uh, I knew that if I went any further, living the way that I was, um, my family would be burying me, or I would definitely be buried under a prison. I mean, it gotten that bad. Embracing the DRC program and all its teachings and lessons, Hutch began to realize that he could recover and that he could overcome this addiction. And to do that, he would need to make some changes in his life. Hutch decided he was going to be a completely new man. Meet Andrew. Well, it, it started probably about six months ago here at DRC, and um, I'd had a conversation with a few people and. Um, ever since I've been out of jail, people just kept texting, kept calling, wanting to come around, hutch, hutch, hutch. And I was like, look, you know what? The old hutch, hutch is, is dead and gone. That's a man that does not exist any longer. For 20 years, hutch was an evil, bad person. I mean, he didn't go out and kill and do all that, but the things that he did to his family and to himself robbed himself of 20 years of his life and his kids. So that's a man that I do not want to be. Now, becoming Andrew over the last six months has been so much more productive, not only in in my life, but also my children's. I mean, I've built the trust back with my kids. They'll come around me. I have a great relationship back with my kids now. I wake up every morning and look at the mirror and, and I'm happy and excited to see the person that I am today compared to 14 months ago. Um, Andrew all around is is a man that that is happy to go out and say, hey, I am a man, I'm a happy man, I'm a proud man of everything that I've succeeded so far, and I'm gonna to continue to keep on this road and keep going and continue to accept the rewards that, that I'm getting for doing the right thing instead of taking the easy, easy way and not doing what I should be doing. Um, this is probably one of the hardest things that I've ever done in my life is to make the transition and to be, honestly a total different person than I, what I was. The last time I actually had a real job, a real paying job, was probably in 2010. Um, then I had gotten hurt, and like I said, and I, I was, went to selling dope and stuff. So one of the biggest, another biggest accomplish, I've got a full-time job now. Um, I actually get the keys to my house today that I've worked hard, and, and I, it's not drug money, it's not, it's not out of anything illegal, it's out of me putting forth the hard work and, and the courage and the strength and the knowledge and working daily to get it. Um, I'm 300 and something dollars away from getting my license, which I never really cared about that for the last 10 years. I, I don't need license, I don't care, I'll drive and do what I want. Um, but it's like, that's why I said just a minute ago, the rewards keep falling in my lap. I'm, I mean, the graduation's coming up in this program, which honestly, I thought I'd be here a week, satisfy these people, and gone. I didn't care. I didn't want to be here. I just, it was a free step out of jail. That's the way I looked at it. Um, but it's like, you know, the job, the home, the relationship back with my kids now, the relationship I have with myself is foremost, the most important is the relationship that I have with me now. TDOC's Day Reporting Center program is a three-phase intensive outpatient program that focuses on substance use, job skills, family reunification, and behavioral and social programs, 
all with an emphasis on accountability and self-discipline. TDOC operates six DRCs across the state, and Andrew credits the Knoxville location and its staff for his recovery and sobriety. You know, the, it's called a daily reporting center. To me, it's daily recovering center. That's just for me. You know, I don't say that to everybody, but that's what I call it. It's a daily recovery center for me because every day is a recovering day for any addict. So, but for the first three months, I mean, when I first got heard about this program in jail, you know, everybody was like, look, you know what I mean? It's a free ticket out of jail. You just take it and you go over, do their motions for a week. You're all right. You run, do whatever. Well, I actually thought about it for the first week, and then something kept me here for the second week. And then before I knew it, the third week, I was hooked. I couldn't leave. It's because the staff here actually care, and they take time to find out what's really bothering you, to get to get to the bottom of the core of the situation that you're going through. And they, and they give you such good life skills and tools. And if you use it and you build it to your life, I mean... You will succeed. There's, there's no way you want, you can't succeed in this program if you use what you were taught. It, the only way that you can fail in this situation is if you don't want it. If you don't want the sobriety, if you don't want to stay clean, if you don't want the happiness, you're not going to get it. So, I mean, the encouraging words that I hear every day and the stories that I hear and my peers here and the council and, and all the staff, the POs, if it wasn't for them, honestly, by the second week, I'll, I'd have been back on the run. I wouldn't have stayed. There's, I didn't expect any kind of love or care or compassion or respect. I, I didn't expect any of that. And, I mean, it's like no matter what you come in here with, your problems, your situation, it's nothing that they can't handle and try to sit down and have one-on-ones or any kind of group session or anything and, and help you through it. I mean, they really can. If you or someone you know is suffering from an addiction to drugs or alcohol, there is help. The Tennessee Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services offers a variety of programs and services, as well as lots of information regarding programs and services available through other organizations on their website, tn.gov behavioral health. If you are not a Tennessee resident, we encourage you to reach out to the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Their toll-free 24-7 hotline is 1-800-662-HELP. That is 1-800-662-4357. For more information on TDOC's DRC programs or any of our other reentry programs and services, visit our website at tn.gov correction. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Mission. Please, if you liked it, hit the like button as well as the subscribe button. And feel free to leave us comments and feedback on what you thought of this episode or what you might want to learn about in a future episode.